Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Empire Sports Talk. I'm your host, Roman Gennaro. This is going to be a packed episode. It's going to be a very NFL-heavy episode with uh, the NFL playoffs getting ready to start later today as we record this on Saturday. So let's jump right into all we have to cover. Before we do that, I want to touch on a couple of non-NFL-related things. So we're going to start there. First, uh, news came out this week after late Chicago Bulls GM Jerry Krause was booed during the during a Ring of Honor ceremony for the 95-96 team with his wife Thelma in attendance. I don't have much to say about this other than I know that Jerry Krause wasn't very beloved in the in the organization. Um, and, and, and if you haven't seen The Last Dance, first of all, what are you doing with your life? Second of all, if you haven't seen The Last Dance, you may not realize that it, it might be something like, oh, well, why, why would he not be beloved? He was the architect of the six championships, all this sort of stuff. Um, but if you have seen Last Dance, which you likely have, Jerry Krause admittedly had a bit of a complex he he was not the easiest guy to get along with he didn't he famously didn't get along with phil jackson tried to fire him on multiple occasions and that is ultimately what ended the bulls dynasty in 1998 was jerry Krause's desire to move off of phil jackson to which scotty and michael said they wouldn't play for anybody else so and the reason for this is likely because Jerry Krause, like I said, had a bit of a complex, viewed himself as the entire reason why the Bulls won those championships. And he had a lot to do with it. The GM helped construct that team, make those trades, make those draft picks. He drafted Michael. He drafted Scotty. He traded for Dennis. But... He at times appeared as if he had no respect for the fact that the game was played on the court. And you needed the right coach. And you needed the right players. And you were led by the greatest that the game has ever seen. And he's like, oh, I did it. I can do it again. And ever since the Last Dance Bulls disbanded in 1998, things have not gone in the same direction or even a consistent direction with the Chicago Bulls. Thanks in large part to the to the um, 2010s Chicago Bulls with Jimmy Butler and Derrick Rose. They they have made 12 playoff appearances in those 26 seasons, but only twice have they finished first in their division, and they've never made it past the second round. So for a franchise as proud as the Bulls, to not be able to have consistent success since then, especially recently, even though, like, like I said, Krause had nothing to do with the recent teams because he passed away in 2017, especially recently with um, Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan and Lonzo Ball, who's been too injured to really suit up for them when they really expected to kind of recapture some of that magic. It's been really disappointing for Chicago, but you also have to know that before the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls, and after the like the the legacy that the bulls have rests entirely on the shoulders of Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Phil Jackson, Jerry Krause, Jerry Reinsdorf and that run in the 90s 
before Michael got there in 84, the franchise was a joke. It was one of the worst in the NBA. That's how they got the third overall pick. Their culture was bad. They were, they were, you know, they, that they cared more about taking drugs and partying than playing basketball. Michael got there. It was the beginning of a cultural rebuild. They win all those championships. Uh, and then after that, Phil Jackson left, Michael Jordan left, Scottie Pippen left, Dennis Rodman left. And it was kind of back to mediocrity for a long time. And Derrick Rose was able to recapture a little bit of that, but they never kind of got to the, a level where they were legitimate contenders again. So really, as I said, the entire legacy of this franchise that is so beloved to, to today rests rests in the decade of the 90s. And even though Krauss may not have been the most likable person, we do have to respect that he was, in fact, the architect of it. He, he made the deals. He made the trades, the signings, the hires. Yes, the game is played on the court. And yes, the game is coached by coaches. But somebody's got to pull the trigger. Jerry Cross was that guy. And I, in a moment where they were honoring arguably the best team to ever step on a court, the 95-96 Bulls, instead of showing pure gratitude for everyone in that organization at the time, they chose to boo Jerry Krause, who, again, wasn't there. He had passed away six years earlier. They chose to boo the GM that helped build those championships. And Jerry Krause's wife, Thelma, was in attendance, and she heard it. And she was a reportedly devastated. And the Bulls were playing the Golden State Warriors at the time, and Steve Kerr was on the Bulls for three of those six championships. And he was in the locker room at the time because it was during halftime. But he said he heard about it, and, and Steve Kerr was appalled by the reaction of the Chicago Bulls. And I've spent more time on this than I wanted, but I'll say that I've long been a proponent in sports of celebrate when it's time to celebrate, commiserate when it's time to commiserate, and show class when it's time to show class. And in this moment, with the Chicago Bulls fans choosing to boo Jerry Krause, the late Jerry Krause with his wife in attendance in a moment that's meant to honor the accomplishments of not only the, the team, but the front office for getting those championships and, and building those teams. It, it, it was one of the more classless moments that I've seen in a long time. And, and part of it is probably due to frustration of, of their team currently, who's not doing very well. But Jerry Krause, again, had nothing to do with it. This was a moment of appreciation of the glory years of the Chicago Bulls that had a lot to do with Jerry Krause's efforts. And I this this was a classless moment for a fan base that has deserved some more winning ever since that that group disbanded, hasn't gotten it, but deserved more. This was this was a bad moment. You show appreciation when it's time to even if you weren't a big fan of the person involved. Even if you know, they that they, they left they left a bad taste in your mouth. In a moment that is meant to celebrate, you celebrate everybody. I'm I hope one day I mean I know for a fact that, that Shaquille O'Neal has, has been welcomed back to welcomed back in Orlando and even thought about 
said he would consider buying the team if if that ever was a possibility in the future. And I know for a fact that Orlando fans aren't big fans of Dwight Howard because of the way he chose to leave. But I would certainly hope that if the Orlando Magic organization ever decided to maybe 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 five years from now dur- during the 20th anniversary of the 2008-2009 season that saw the Orlando Magic make it to the NBA Finals before ultimately losing to the Los Angeles Lakers. I would certainly hope that if the organization ever decided to honor that that team, that Dwight Howard would be welcomed back and applauded for his efforts in that season, regardless of how Orlando fans might feel about him now and how he chose to exit a few years later, he was still a loved member of that team. And in this moment, regardless of how they felt about Jerry Krause, the Bulls should have appreciated him and what he did for the franchise for that decade that they won championships. And this was an appalling moment at the Chicago Bulls and Warriors game. And to have to have the opposing coach be a former player on that team just adds insult to the injury because he was there and he... He, like many of the other players, had his problems with Jerry Krause, but he knew like we wouldn't be where we where we were without him because he went and drafted Michael and he drafted Scotty and he traded for Dennis and he drafted Horace Grant and all this sort of stuff. Like you may not like somebody, but that does not diminish their role in how you got to where you got. And Jerry Krause deserves credit. For, for assembling the Chicago Bulls teams in the 1990s. Completely classless moment. And I really I really hope that there's some sort of statement or some sort of... I, they should invite Thelma Krause back. Apologize to her for what happened at the game. Uh, went on a little bit longer about that than I wanted to, but uh, before we jump straight into the NFL, I do want to mention, issue a huge congratulations to Nick Saban on a great head coaching career he he's decided to retire following the season and is walking away from the University of Alabama his seven national championships are the most all-time of any college coach he's the 15th all-time winningest head coach in college in college football history he he may have been even higher if he hadn't taken those two years to coach the Miami Dolphins in the NFL but 15th is nothing to sneeze at and seven national championships is something really, really special. The Alabama Crimson Tide wasted no time naming his replacement as they hired one of the fastest rising head coaches in college football, Kalen DeBoer, as Nick Saban's successor. And I have a lot to say about that, but I do want to say that Kalen DeBoer most recently made it to the national championship with Washington, a two-year turnaround of a Washington program that that has had mild success in the past, but is not really a team that we see as a threat regularly, turned that team around in two years, took them to the national championship game before they ultimately lost a hard-fought battle to Michigan. Kalen DeBoer is now the head coach at the University of Alabama. And if you followed my social media, Recently, I said that I thought it was almost inevitable that Dabo Swinney would become the 
newest head coach. Things weren't going so well at Clemson. Uh, the, the 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 other candidates that I heard were were Kirby Smart and Lane Kiffin among others. And Lane just signed a huge contract at Ole Miss, and Kirby Smart's already on top of the mountain. So I didn't see either one of them going anywhere. Dabo Swinney seemed like the the obvious choice to me, and I even posted an an image to that effect. And Kalen DeBoer, who was always in the conversation, ended up getting the spot. Now, like I said, Kalen DeBoer is is a winner. He is a ball coach. He is he is a coach. He has a 104 and 12 career record as a head coach. A lot of that um was at NAIA school Suex Falls where he won 3 national championships. Um then he went 12 and 6 at Fresno State in his first foray into being a head coach in the in the NCAA and then 25 and 3 at Washington with the help of Heisman finalist and some believe should have been the winner Michael Penix Jr. for a for an astounding career record of 104 and 12. Um I think he's a great coach. That being said, no there's a saying that says you don't want to be the guy after the guy. And for what Saban by no means put Alabama on the map. Alabama has been a proud program for a long, long time. But what Saban did was was elevate them back after they struggled to find the successor after Bear Bryant. There have been there there were eight head coaches between Bear Bryant and Nick Saban, and only one of them lasted more than three seasons. There was a and that one was Gene Stallings from ninety from nineteen ninety 1990 to nineteen ninety six. During this period of of Alabama's coaching search, I kept replaying in my head a quote from former Alabama head coach Bill Curry, who was the head coach from nineteen eighty seven to nineteen eighty nine, where he said, "Now Bill Curry was was a good head coach for Alabama. He had a career record of twenty six and ten. He was named the nineteen eighty nine SEC Coach of the Year. He had the highest winning percentage to that point since Bear Bryant, um, and still has the third highest in Alabama history of coaches that have coached more than one game." He won the 1988 Sun Bowl, 29 to 28 against Army, uh, but he was let go after the 1989 season. That's right, won SEC Coach of the Year, and then was let go because he he said himself. He said, "When I got called into the office after the 1989 season, I knew I was done because I'd gone 0 for 3 against Auburn." And I knew that as an Alabama head coach, you don't get three shots against Auburn, miss, and keep your job. So even though Bill Curry had done a really good job at Alabama in those three years, he was let go after a 26-10 and 10 stint because he couldn't beat Auburn. Now, I, I bring that up to say that you don't want to be the guy after the guy, but also... Saban 
built the program back up to be a juggernaut. And I know that Saban left because he didn't he 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 didn't like the direction that college football was was going. We we we've talked in recent years about how NCAA sports in general was broken with NIL and transfer portal and all this sort of stuff. You know, old school coaches they don't like that sort of stuff. It's not a bad thing. It you know, old being an old school coach isn't a bad thing. Um, I thought Nick Saban had done a great job of adjusting, but it just wasn't it he it wasn't something he wanted to be a part of. Some might say that this was his best coaching job at Alabama this year because they didn't look so good to start the year. They had more adversity than they usually do under Saban. So you could say this was his best coaching year. That being said, the direction that it's going is not for him. He walks away. Kalen DeBoer, I worry, is that when you, if you're going to successfully be the guy after the guy, you kind of have to be a guy. Like, I feel like this job at this moment in time holds weight. And I feel like you as a coach have to hold that same weight. And that's why names like Lane Kiffin and Dabo Swinney and Kirby Smart were thrown out there. All three guys who have won national championships, either as head coaches or coordinators. Uh, Lane Kiffin won a national championship under Saban as the offensive coordinator. And no offense to Kalen DeBoer, his record at, at Suex Falls is astounding. But he's only been a coach in the at the NCAA level for a few years. He's only he went to Fresno State, but that's not that's not a school that holds any weight. And he's and then he went to Washington, where admittedly he went twenty five and three, but he had a Heisman level quarterback. He had really good players around him, and yes, I know that's the point. But it was also in the Pac twelve, which traditionally isn't the strongest of conferences. He he narrowly edged out Dan Lanning in the Pac-12 championship, which Dan Lanning was also a name that was floated out there for, for the Alabama job, and I and I had similar feelings about him if he had gotten it. But the Pac-12 isn't necessarily the strongest conference. He barely beat Dan Lanning in the Pac-12 championship, and Dan Lanning's quarterback was fellow Heisman finalist Bo Nix, who had transferred from Auburn, where he where things did not go well. For Bo Nix. The, the SEC and the Pac-12 are two different animals. Especially not, especially coming up this year with all the realignment that's going to happen. I don't know if Kalen DeBoer's shorter resume in major college football was beefed up enough to warrant him getting this job right now. And my gut is telling me... I hope I'm wrong. Like... I, Kalen DeBoer can coach. There is no doubt about that. But it's a long way from Suex Falls to Tuscaloosa. It's 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 a long way from the Pac-12 to the SEC. And not only the SEC, it's not like it's not like he went and got the Texas A&M job or the, or the Tennessee job, but the top of the SEC, Georgia, Alabama. Like he's he he just scaled the mountain in a single jump. He he built an amazing program at Washington. But without him, Washington will probably return 
to some level to the middle of the pack. What Saban had built was was built on a foundation of a program that has had success in the past, that has had sustained respect and weight attached to it. The Alabama Crimson Tide haven't just won the six national championships that Nick Saban brought them. They've won 18. They've been the cream of the crop for a long time. And I wish Kalen DeBoer success. And I think he's a great coach. And I think with the SEC recruiting power, he can he 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 can do something at Alabama. But I feel like there's something in my gut, and this may come back to haunt me in four years, and I hope it does. So if you so so if this ends up on the freezing cold takes Instagram page a year, two years, four years from now, great. But there's something in my gut that tells me that Kalen DeBoer will not take that can't, that that the Alabama Crimson Tide will be searching for a new head coach in four years. That Kalen DeBoer will go two and two against Auburn and fail to win the SEC one time. And again, I hope I'm wrong. I'm not I'm not trying to disrespect Kalen DeBoer at all, but I feel like he is the fastest rising head coach in college football right now. And that rise has been on steep inclines. And he's succeeded on those inclines. So maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe this will be the, the most wrong I've ever been. And that's fine. But there's something inside of me. This is also the same something that told me that it, it was Dabo Swinney or Bust. So maybe I don't trust it. But it's something inside of me that says four years from now, he'll, he'll be two and two against Auburn. He won't have an SEC championship under his belt, and and they'll they'll look again. I hope I'm wrong. No disrespect to Caleb DeBoer, I would love to have him on the podcast one day. Uh, just because because I love talking to coaches about coaching, but this I don't know if this was the right move. I think this was the trendy move. I think this was the this was the flashy move, which Nick Saban was the opposite of flashy. I think this was I think this was to make a big splash and I and they and 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 they moved on it really fast. And I and and it kind of made me nervous how how quickly they they finalized the deal with Kalen, with Kalen DeBoer. So I wish him all the best. I'm cautiously optimistic, but there is a lot of caution there. So, jumping finally into the NFL, we're going to start with Nick Saban's friend and former former employer with the Cleveland Browns. Bill Belichick decide, decided mutually with Robert Kraft to walk away from the New England Patriots after 24 seasons and six Super Bowls, arguably the greatest head coach of all time. He is just 15 wins away from passing Don Shula for the most wins all time by an NFL head coach. And he says he wants to coach again, so he will seemingly break Don Shula's record in one to two years with whatever team that he chooses to go to next. I do think we've talked a lot about the Las Vegas Raiders and their coaching search um, in the, on the past few episodes where Harbaugh's name has been thrown out there. I've thought that that 
Antonio Pierce should get the job. He is the leading candidate. I saw on ESPN this morning, he is the leading candidate to get that job, rightfully so. But I do think Bill Belichick would fit with the Raiders. Like, I feel like the Raiders have the same, they're, and I hate this word, but I feel like the Raiders have the same vibe as the Patriots do. That that rough and tumble, black and blue, old school feel to them. And, you know, I've heard, I've, I've heard, you know, maybe the Chargers, maybe the Falcons as possible landing spots for Bill Belichick, but that doesn't seem to be a good fit to me because the Falcons offense is exciting. It's young, it's trendy, it's kind of the opposite of Bill Belichick. It's, it's not an old school offense. It's not, and, and the Chargers in, in sunny LA, in, where they don't even they struggle to sell tickets because it's LA and there's more to do. Like those two franchises don't seem like fits for Bill Belichick to me. The the Washington Commanders are another option that fits more to me. So we'll see where Bill Belichick ends up. There's there's conflicting reports that he may not coach next year, but he seems to want to. So we'll see where he ends up. Congratulations to both Nick Saban and Bill Belichick on great careers. I know that Bill Belichick's is not over at this point, but on great careers that that are reaching a new phase for for each for each guy. Bill Belichick's successor, however, has been chosen just as quickly. And it and it makes me think that that this was already in place. Apparently the there is a rule in the NFL that you have to go through an, an interview process unless you have it written somewhere with the league office of a succession plan. And so apparently the Patriots did because they did not interview anyone else before hiring Gerard Mayo as the next head coach. Gerard has spent uh, since 2019 as the inside linebackers coach for Bill Belichick. He was the former player for Bill Belichick, won a Super Bowl. And you'd think because of the struggles that, that the Patriots had the last few years, they'd want to go in a different direction. Nope, they hired from within. They hired from within and they did it quickly, uh, which makes me think that they know something about Gerard Mayo that the rest of us don't know as far as how he's going to coach. He spent some time after football in the business world, came back into football. We'll see how it goes. I talked a lot about in, in the last few episodes and more on this in a minute as well, where we've, we, we've seen, we've seen a lot of coaches get hired recently that feel like their organizations. Um, like Dan Campbell feels like Detroit. He's the perfect fit in Detroit. And D'Amico Ryans, when he was hired in Houston, I said the same thing, that it felt very Dan Campbell-y to me, like the perfect fit. He D'Amico Ryans was um was on the Houston Texans when they got their first taste of success and he was part of those great defenses with um JJ Watt and Brian Cushing and those guys. Uh, I thought he was a perfect fit. Another guy that I think feels like a perfect fit for the market, for the team, Mike McDaniel. He's young. He's funny. He's he's trendy. He's cool. And that, and that feels like what the Miami Dolphins are right now. Gerard Mayo, 
hiring from within, played for Bill Belichick. That that feels right. What the a, a guy to me that also would have felt right is Mike Vrabel, who was recently fired by the Tennessee Titans. I did not agree with that firing. I thought Mike Vrabel is a great coach. And yes, they've had some offensive. Tr- yes, they've had some trouble, but they haven't had steady quarterback play. One of the best running backs in football, Derrick Henry. They they had you know big name receivers. They had a good defense. I I just feel like the Titans kind of balked at the first sign of trouble because everybody else in the AFC South was in playoff contention until the end, and the Titans very much weren't. I think Mike Vrabel will find a job very quickly. That's another guy that I feel like fits with the Raiders because he's kind of he's kind of this patriot guy. He's that's why many people thought that you know he was an obvious choice for the Patriots job because he was the Patriot guy. He was on the Dynasty Patriots. And his coaching style is not the same as Bill Belichick. It's different. Um because it has to be different in today's game. But I could see him fitting with the Raiders if they don't go with Antonio Pierce, which it sounds like they will, which is the right call. Um, So again, Washington, Seattle would be interesting for Vrabel because Seattle's offense has the weapons that Tennessee's did not. Um, Seattle would be very, very interesting for Mike Vrabel. So so we'll see where all these guys end up as the offseason for these teams gets underway. And and one thing I want to talk about as we talk about offseason, probably the first team that was officially in offseason mode, the Carolina Panthers, who do have an opening, but I don't think they're going to get Bill. They're, they are not going to get Bill Belichick or Mike Vrabel or any of the big names because, and I feel very strongly about this, I saw, I saw an, an image the other day that the NF sports, but the NFL especially, likes to pick an owner and be like, we don't like you. Like, you need to go. And for a long time, it was Dan Snyder in Washington. And then he left. And then it was Jim Irsay. But they cooled on him after he worked things out with Jonathan Taylor. Now, it's David Tepper. We see all the time owners that get way too involved in, in areas that they should not be. Um, and David Tepper is that guy. Um, and, and I feel like David Tepper is single-handedly destroying the Carolina Panthers. Like they, they had the worst record in the NFL this year. They, they would have the first overall pick if they had not traded it away to get Bryce Young last year, which goes to my point here. I saw this graphic that said, and I'll, and I'll read it for you and I'll put it up on the screen for you as well. It says David Tepper is the worst owner in the NFL traded a haul to force Frank Reich to take the wrong quarterback, gave the wrong quarterback nothing to work with, fired Reich midseason after the wrong QB with nothing to work with, didn't win games. Carolina's had five coaches in four years and a 30-63 and record since Tepper took over as the owner of the team. Now, the one thing I will push back on against again instantly is I don't think... Bryce Young was the wrong quarterback. I think well, the reason it's worded like this is because Frank Reich and the person that's not mentioned on this graphic, qu- former quarterbacks coach Josh McCown, who was also relieved of his duties around the same time, wanted C.J. Stroud. 
they wanted CJ Stride coming out of the draft. Um, obviously didn't take him because David Tepper wanted Bryce Young. That being said, CJ Stroud, probably offensive rookie of the year. I think his only real competition is Puka Nakua in LA. I think whoever lasts longer in the NFL playoffs will take it. You know, I think if 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 the Rams beat the beat the Lions this weekend, and I think they will, that Puka Nakua wins it. Um but we knew Caesar Show would be good. We didn't know his rookie year would be this good. We did know, however, that the Carolina Panthers had nothing. They traded away their one weapon, DJ Moore, as part of the package to get the number one pick. And the only weapon that Bryce Young had this season was Adam Thielen, who is on, whose career is on its way down. And Hayden Hurst, who has been um, battling his own issues the last few years. And they they did bring in Miles Sanders, who did a big old nothing as the lead running back for Carolina. So looking at this graphic, you you force your head coach and quarterback's coach to draft the guy they didn't want to draft. Now, Bryce Young, I feel like, is getting a terrible rep because he's being compared to C.J. Stroud. I think Carolina had nothing, as this graphic says. Their offensive line was maybe the worst I've ever seen. And Bryce Young is a little smaller. But all anybody talked about coming out of the draft was how smart he is, how intelligent he is on the field. And I believe that's true. But you can't expect somebody to have success when they feel like they have to carry it themselves, especially being a rookie. And that's what it felt like Bryce Young felt like he had to do, was do it everything himself because he was the only weapon. And he was. So, But that being said, you force your head coach and, and your quarterback's coach to take the wrong, to take the guy they didn't want. And then you don't have any, you 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 don't have any receivers. You don't have an offensive line. You don't you have a running back that didn't show up after he signed his contract. And you're like, oh, head coach, it's your fault. Uh, Frank Reich is a great coach. There are those that have believed that that he shouldn't have been fired in Indianapolis uh, when he was, and and now he's fired again for. Things that aren't necessarily on him. And now I know that the head coach is often the the figurehead for these things. Is the, the sometimes the only way to f- quote unquote fix a problem. And the only way to kill a beast is to cut off its head. And then the head coach is the head. Um, but I don't think it was Frank Reich's fault in Indianapolis, and I don't think it was Frank Reich's fault in Carolina. And then you take and then you take out the QB coach as well. When you're like, I know that I I know you want this guy. And there's nothing standing in our way except getting this guy, except me, the owner. And then you fire those guys. And then you're going to have to find a new head coach. No one's going to want that job because you still have nothing. You still have no offensive line. You still have no receivers. You still have the quarterback that some believe was the wrong choice. I don't. But you still have the quarterback that some believe was the wrong choice. You have you have a 30-63 and 63 record since you took up. And not to mention that... In a late season game against 
Jacksonville, you were you threw alcohol at fans. David Tepper is out of control in Carolina. And the problem to me is that there's there's no regulation in professional sports that can force an owner to give up the team. The league could step in. I don't know what kind of legality is involved. But if the owner owns the team, they own the team. It's not like you, you can fire a GM. You can fire a coach. You can't fire an owner. There should be something about that. Something should be done because you watch guys like David Tepper just absolutely destroying a franchise. And there's nothing you can do about it. But David Tepper's got to go. Next thing, and and this is going to be a long one, and I knew it would because it's packed. Um, can we stop the Nick Sirianni like slander and the and the roller coaster and like I know, and and we live in a world now where it's instant gratification. What have you done for me lately? You know all this sort of stuff. This 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 hot take, clickbait society. I get it. Um, but while I'm watching ESPN this week and hearing them talk about if the Eagles lose this weekend, should Sirianni be fired? Are we serious with this? Well, like I'm talking, you know, I just talked about coaches that I feel like fit perfectly with the teams and the organizations that they're with. and. I didn't mention his name then because I was going to talk about him now, but Sirianni is one of those guys. Nick Sirianni is Philadelphia. He is the Philadelphia Eagles. Like it, it, it just works. And so the fact that we're even talking about Nick Sirianni possibly being fired if he loses this weekend is ridiculous to me. They're in the playoffs. Like they're in the play. They have a chance at the Super Bowl. They, not to mention, Nick Sirianni was in the Super Bowl one year ago, last year. So in the so so in the argument of what have you done for me lately, Super Bowl, last one year ago, they're the defending NFC champions, and they still are until somebody takes it from them, which they haven't done yet because they're in the playoffs. Philadelphia, I know you're tough. What do you want? Okay, you have a franchise quarterback. You had an 11-win season. Yeah, you didn't win the division because your defense fell apart because of injuries. Injuries happen. You you got lucky last year that you didn't have as many. You were building Georgia Northeast because you have a lot of the Georgia Bulldog defensive players. But what did you think was going to happen when after the Super Bowl your defensive your your defensive coordinator goes to be a head coach your offensive coordinator goes to be a head coach then your defensive coordinator is demoted mid-season and replaced with Matt Patricia who also didn't fix the problems all of that and you're blaming Nick Sirianni. 
who's doing the best that he can with what he has. With He's he's holding that defense together with duct tape at this point. You're still in the playoffs. You're not eliminated. You have a favorable matchup in the first round of the playoffs against Tampa. It's not a foregone conclusion. If you're not ready, Tampa can beat you. Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown seem to be a bit banged up. We don't know if they'll play yet. But you're in the playoffs with a favorable first matchup. You you will pro- you might cross paths with Dallas or San Francisco again, which maybe it didn't go as well this year, but you have experience playing them. You know how to game plan for them. If if Nick Sirianni got fired after a playoff exit a year after a Super Bowl, like there then there's literally nothing that can make Philadelphia fans happy. Nothing. And and if, quite frankly, it's it it's a sports city I would probably avoid as a coach in general because of this. But it is absurd. It is absurd to be talking about the reigning NFC champion head coach potentially being fired a year after the Super Bowl. And it's not like and we we talk about it with Mike McCarthy too in Dallas. Um, but that's not quite the same thing. Mike McCarthy's been with Dallas for a few years now. And every single year, at some point, we're talking about can they make it to the Super Bowl? Because they're Dallas, because there are franchises who garner higher expectations. The New York Yankees, the Dallas Cowboys, the LA Lakers, the New York Knicks, because of who they are. And because the Dallas Cowboys are the Dallas Cowboys, we saw it we saw it this year when Micah Parsons got frustrated with the way that the media was was targeting them. He said, We know that the media targets us differently because we're the Cowboys. We get it. We get you put the star on your, your helmet, it's different. Mike McCarthy has has had several years with Dallas and they haven't made much noise in the playoffs and they've they've had exits and they've looked bad and they've done these things and we've had criticisms about McCarthy and all this sort of stuff. So McCarthy being fired if they lose to the Packers is a different situation because as good as Jordan Love's been this year, the Packers honestly aren't that good. That their defense is not good. Their offense is young. Dallas has the weapons, has the head coach, has the quarterback who at one point was see, was seen as the MVP favorite, and a coach that's had a few years of this. So that would be a different situation. I don't think it's it would be correct. But Nick Sirianni, this is his second year, second or third year with the Eagles. He's made a Super Bowl and he's back in the playoffs. Started ten and one, like. Are we seriously having the conversation? Stop. Stop. Nick Sirianni's job is safe to, until next year. If the same thing happens next year, different story maybe. But he was in the Super Bowl last year. Calm down. We're not talking about Andy Reid because, because, the, because the Chiefs season's gone so badly. Because we understood for the Chiefs, oh, they have no receivers. It's not Patrick's fault. It's not Andy's fault. Their receivers are dropping the ball. It's not Sirianni's fault. Both his coordinators left. His defense is terrible. Sirianni's doing the best he can. 
And those coordinators left after last season because they did such a good job. They're head coaches now. Like, can we stop? Sirianni is the right coach in Philadelphia. Leave it at that. We really got to get a move on here because I'm spending too much time on this. The New Orleans Saints were the topic of conversation following their Week 18 win against the Atlanta Falcons because at the end of the game, up 41-17 in the red zone, they, they lined up in victory formation to take a knee and get out of there and instead handed off the ball to Jamal Williams to score his first touchdown of the season and win the game 48-17. And, and obviously, Arthur Smith, in what proved to be his last game as Falcons head coach, was extremely animated on the field when running to talk to Dennis Allen. He was yelling at him, and I get it. Look, I am not someone who believes in taking it easy when you're up by a lot. I wouldn't call it running up the score, but I think you you don't stop playing at any point during the game. Like you don't like who if if you're up 63 nothing, you earned it. Like maybe maybe don't go for the home run ball, but like don't don't run the ball exclusively for an for an entire fourth quarter that kind of thing. I don't I I don't buy into that. I think you you keep playing till the end. But there's a difference between playing until the end and doing this. The Saints had lined up in concession formation. It's like, all right, we're out of here. We're up 41-17. Let's get it done. And then ran the ball against the formation and scored. That, I think, is a different story because that's that's just, that's rude. That is not a good look. Like, if if you want to run the ball, line up in an I formation. Line up in it. Line up in a strong formation. I don't care. Line up that way. But to line up in a victory formation that is like, all right, we're up 41-17. Let's get out of here. And then to run it, that's just a jerk move. And by all accounts, it sounds like Dennis Allen called the kneel down and Jameis Winston and Jamal Williams decided in the huddle to run it in to get Jamal Williams' first touchdown of the season. So Dennis Allen had lost the locker room, clearly had lost the locker room. If his players are like, nah, we're going to run it after he called in the victory formation. So I'm surprised today that Dennis Allen is still the head coach in New Orleans. But uh, the Saints were very, very wrong for doing that. And that's coming from somebody that, that like, if you run up the score, who cares? Like, that's that's coming from me. The Saints shouldn't have done it that way, at least. I've already mentioned Mike Vrabel's fired. I don't agree with that. Uh, I think he's a great coach. He'll find a job very quickly. He he is a, he is a really 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 good coach. He'll he'll be fine. The Chicago Bears, they have the number one overall pick, and it seems that they have they they still have a decision to make. And it is Justin Fields or Caleb Williams, and there's been a lot of conversation about this, and I I, I I've even had had conversation about this on this podcast 
They decided not to make a coaching change. They're keeping Matt Eberflus. And so the question now is Caleb Williams or Justin Fields. And I understand the argument for Caleb Williams. There are some GMs that's like he's he's better than Andrew Luck. He's better than Trevor Lawrence. He's better than some have said he there there was a GM that said he'd take him over Elway or Peyton Manning, which I think is ridiculous. He's good. He's not that good. I get it. But, and there are many layers to this. Justin Fields proved good enough in college to warrant a high pick with the Bears. But then the Bears, like Carolina, are a mess. They are constantly firing coordinators and defensive coordinators and 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 they've they've gotten rid of GMs and they've gotten rid of coaches and they've done this sort of a young quarterback needs consistency. Whoever the head coach is for Carolina next year, it, it, even if it's Bill Belichick, it's going to take time for Bryce Young to be like, oh, a new coach, cool. And constant changes in coaching are not good for the development of young players. And so Justin Fields has not had consistency in Chicago. And the decision to keep Matt Eberflus kind of tells me they're leaning towards Justin Fields because it was kind of obvious that they should move off Eberflus, but then but then Chicago started playing better towards the end of the season. And Justin Fields looked better towards the end of the season. And it was like, oh. So the Bears apparently saw something. And I, to me, keeping Matt Eberflus tells me that they're keeping Justin Fields. Because if you're going to get a new quarterback, just start fresh. It won't matter to Caleb Williams because he'll be a rookie. It won't matter. It matters to Justin Fields, who the head coach is. Now, if they go with Caleb Williams and trade Justin Fields, and the popular opinion is that they trade him to Atlanta, that would be super exciting. I, that would be so cool to watch. But I think, I think the smart move for Chicago is to trade the pick, get more pick, move back, get or use the pick on Marvin Harrison Jr., or trade the pick back a couple of picks. Trade it with trade it with Washington, who's at two. Trade it with Washington or New England, who's at two. Get a couple of picks. Take Marvin Harrison Jr. Because as it stands now, Washington or and New England would likely take quarterbacks back to back. So that would be Caleb Williams and Drake May if if you move back to three with the Patriots, whoever. Then, then Caleb, then, then Marvin Harrison's right there at three. You get a couple extra picks for for moving back. You build an actual team around Justin Fields and DJ Moore. Is that was it? Uh, Montez Sweat that recently got got traded from from the Commanders to the Bears, and he immediately was like, "Oh, there's 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 culture and discipline over here." So there's something there. Like Chicago, I feel like is on the up. And I don't know if switching a quarterback right now is the right move. Where And tack onto that, the, the report. Now, this came from a guy. This, this came from a, from a Twitter or an X account that claimed to be owned by by a New York Giants insider and this 
claim has not been 100% proven yet, but there is a fact in it. And the fact, and, and what this guy said was that Caleb Williams has not declared for the NFL draft and will not declare for the NFL draft until he has assurances that the Chicago Bears will trade the number one pick because he has no interest in playing in Chicago. Now, as I said, that has proven, no one else has, has corroborated that. Um, but the one thing that is true about it is that Caleb Williams has not declared for the NFL draft. He does have eligibility left at USC. He did come out earlier this this season, and, and apparently he had a list of five teams that he wanted to play for. The Bears were not on that list, but neither were the Patriots or the Commanders, so whatever. And he also said he wanted an ownership stake in whatever team drafts him. That's a ridiculous request. That's one one damaging thing that I think the NIL has done is given these these entitled teenagers this to think they have this kind of power over the National Football League is just absurd. That being said, from a personality standpoint, I'm 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 rolling with Justin Fields. Justin Fields seems through all of this, through all of this turmoil with the quarterback and the season and everything and all of the interviews seems to be humble and willing to learn and coachable and 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 all this sort of stuff. All the things Caleb Williams does not seem to be, certainly not humble. Uh, he's like, I'm the first pick and I know it and give me everything I want or you're not getting me. That's not somebody I'd want leading my franchise. Caleb Williams is going to be the cornerstone of a franchise wherever he goes. And if I'm Chicago and have as many problems as I have, that's not the kind of guy I want to bring in. I feel like that's just going to cause more division, more problems. So that's another reason why, to me, it's Justin Fields. He played better towards the end of the year. You build around him. You build around him and DJ Moore. I feel like I feel like trading back, taking Marvin Harrison, and getting extra picks goes a long way a long way and if you and, and if you have dj moore if you have dj moore and marvin harrison on your offense other players are going to want to come they're going to want to come i mean look, look look what happened with atlanta you know they'll get a new coach this year uh potentially justin fields if if chicago ends up going with caleb williams like they drafted b john robinson they had kyle pitts they, they, you know, Drake London, all this sort of stuff. The Falcons had a great offseason. Like a bunch of guys were signing over there because they could see it was going to be exciting. And I still think it's going to be exciting. If they, if, if they figure out their quarterback situation, whether it be Justin Fields or Russell Wilson, or Kirk Cousins, I think, I think the, the, I think the Falcons are right there. And so I think if you're the Bears and you, and, and you trade back, you take Marvin Harrison, you pair him with DJ Moore and Justin Fields, you, 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 you take those extra picks, you build a defense, you get an offensive line, you do like other players are going to want to come play in Chicago, especially when you think about, oh, the, all of the history in Chicago and the division's pretty wide open, especially if Minnesota moves off Kirk Cousins, the division's pretty wide open. I think that without Kirk Cousins in Minnesota, Chicago, Green Bay, and Minnesota are all pretty evenly matched. And then you have Detroit there at the top where I feel like that division's pretty wide open uh, below Detroit. And if Detroit slips up, 
if if Detroit slips up one year, you might or has some injuries, you it, it might be open. So if I'm if if I'm the GM of the Bears, I'm I'm sticking I'm sticking with Justin Fields for at least another year, drafting Marvin Harrison, trading back, getting extra picks, see and seeing what he does with a consistency of the head coach staying the same. So that that's that that's my two my final two cents on the Williams and Fields debate. To me, it's Fields. You keep him, you roll with him. Uh, he he played a lot better towards the end of the season. The Bears almost messed around and made the playoffs. Honestly, all that. So, to me, it's like I'm. Of course, Caleb Williams is enticing, but to me, it's like there are too many. There are too many things wrong with the Bears right now, and too many things going against Caleb Williams for me as far as attitude and demands he's already making. So. Is, is Justin Fields for me. Uh, moving right along here, it looks more, increasingly more like Jim Harbaugh is going to the NFL. He hired the same agent that Tom Brady has, other NFL players, and so uh, an agent he didn't have in college. You don't really need an agent in college, so it looks like he's going to the NFL. The Raiders were were a contender for his services, I like him better with the Chargers, especially now that the Bears appear to be out of the conversation, uh, keeping Matt Eberflus. I like the Chargers, but if the Raiders decide on Jim Harbaugh, because there is mutual interest, they have the 13th pick, which some mock drafts have J.J. McCarthy sitting right there in the middle of the first round. Some have him at the end of the first round. Some have him not in the first round at all. So there is a possibility that the Raiders could take J.J. McCarthy. They, they do need a quarterback. And so that's an interesting thing. I think it's the Raiders. I think it's increasingly uh, likely that Jim Harbaugh goes to the NFL. And there will be many teams that that need a head coach. I, th- I think he could do wonders for Bryce Young in Carolina. But that team just needs... And, but again, I wouldn't want to play for an owner like David Tepper. Because, like, you, you, lo- you miss, you know... He, with what we're seeing from David Tepper, like Jim Harbaugh could come in, work miracles, miss the playoffs by a game, and David Tepper could fire him. So, and that's with a a a two win Carolina team. Like he'd go from two wins to seven wins, barely miss the playoffs, and David Tepper would fire. I wouldn't want to get involved with with with, with a guy like that personally. So Harbaugh watch continues. I still believe that. The Chargers is the right fit, and there might be some openings of playoff teams. You know, if if something happens in Dallas or Philadelphia, as I said, I really don't agree with it. But if something happens there, those could be open. Tampa could be open. Who knows? You know, like so we'll see. There are many. There are many openings, and I think almost everybody would want to have just would want to have Jim Harbaugh. If he does go to L.A., I don't see him moving off of Herbert. He likes Herbert. I don't see him moving off of Herbert in favor of J.J. McCarthy. But the 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 one intriguing option of the Raiders potentially needing a quarterback and J.J. McCarthy being there at 13 with, with Tom Brady part of the ownership group is interesting. But again, I think Antonio Pierce is the right guy there. Um, oh, look at that. That is all I have for you. 
I spent so much time on the early subjects that I, that, that I rushed to the NFL subjects, kind of, and we're done already. Um, so, so anyway, I am Roman Gennaro. This has been Empire Sports Talk, my mom's favorite podcast. Enjoy NFL playoffs this weekend. Today's a good day to go 1-0, especially for those teams. See you next time.